Hi, this is Megan from Step Up for Mental Health. I will be taking over this podcast for the next few weeks. To address the various social justice issues that are embedded within American society, I want to take some time to recognize how the field of mental health contributes to the injustices against marginalized communities, specifically how it can serve and excuse the prison industrial complex in ways we do not expect. In the next few weeks, we will take time to address social justice issues that pertain to the field of mental health, as well as ways we can advocate for change that will benefit the communities who are disproportionately targeted by the criminal justice system and largely neglected by the field of mental health. Today on Mental Talk, Step Up for Change, I will be discussing the ways prisons and their conditions can create and or exasperate mental disorders. Through research on the matter, I will help to explain how the perception of prisons as a place that attracts mentally ill individuals is not a complete understanding of the relationship between poor mental well-being and the prison environment. Instead, I will help explain how the prevalence of mental health problems within prisons is due to confinement conditions and the violation of human rights. Last week, we discussed the false narrative that deinstitutionalization led to the rise of mental illness within homelessness and incarceration. Our discussion dismantled the key arguments of the misconception, but today I want to go further into the conversation about how incarceration and the state create environments that foster poor mental well-being. Today, we are told that prisons have transformed into facilities that house mentally ill individuals and current research is often looking at explanations as to why mental illness is so prevalent. However, many of these studies are supporting the narrative that mental illnesses are the reason people are committing crimes that then get them incarcerated, only giving a brief mention to the damages incarceration does to those targeted by the criminal justice system. Empirical literature overemphasizes mental health of individuals prior to incarceration and pays little attention to the ways someone's mental health can change while being imprisoned. For example, while reading through articles about this topic, many websites and mental health advocacy groups support the notion that the prevalence of mental disorders within prisons and jails are attributed to the arrests of mentally ill people rather than recognizing how prison environments deteriorate a person's mental and physical well-being. Nor do they recognize how the state forces marginalized people into poverty and then further criminalizes the characteristics and behavior associated with poverty. Nor do they recognize how placing people in poverty can also impact their mental well-being. Before getting into the details of prison conditions and environments, I want to add that the facts, statistics, stories, and or information we are discussing could be traumatic for people who have experienced this or have firsthand experience with state violence and incarceration. This podcast will be touching on sensitive subjects, and I encourage you to listen with caution. Additionally, what I'm discussing today is a very real problem that impacts the lives of people. There is a tendency to look at social justice issues as something of a fact or an event rather than an understanding that this is the reality in lives of actual people. 
So please listen to this with the understanding that if you do not have firsthand experience with any of the things mentioned within today's podcast, or are simply just learning about this today, that you and I come from a place of privilege, that we have not had to experience incarceration firsthand, and that this is merely just a discussion we are having. Imprisonment increases the vulnerability of an individual to developing a mental illness while incarcerated and can heighten the symptoms of those already diagnosed before incarceration. Cherie Amour, author of Mental Health in Prisons, A Traumatic Perspective of Importation and Deprivation, recognized that mental illness prevalence within prisons goes beyond the individual's mental state prior to their incarceration. Rather, poor mental health of people incarcerated can be attributed to the prison conditions these individuals experience daily while incarcerated. The World Health Organization recognizes that, quote, the disproportionately high rates of mental disorders in prisons is related to several factors. The widespread misconception that all people with mental disorders are a danger to the public, the general intolerance of many societies to difficult or disturbing behavior, the failure to promote treatment care and rehabilitation, and above all, the lack of or poor access to mental health services in many countries." End quote. Additionally, they add that conditions such as the lack of privacy, violence, Solitude, overcrowding, lack of meaningful activity, social isolation, lack of adequate health care, insecurity about the future, and many other factors contribute to the deterioration of one's mental health in prisons. Prisons create an environment of violence. People who are incarcerated are vulnerable to assault from other people within the prison especially if they're not if they are a part of a marginalized community transgender and gender nonconforming folks are examples of individuals who hold higher risks of assault while incarcerated additionally people with mental illness are more vulnerable of attacks while incarcerated however violence experienced from other people incarcerated are not the only threat to those who are incarcerated Those who are imprisoned are vulnerable to physical, emotional, verbal, and sexual assault by prison staff as well. Marginalized individuals like women, people of color, transgender, and GNC folks are all at a higher risk for being targeted by officers while in prison. These are some ways people who are incarcerated are traumatized while they're serving time in prison. A possible explanation is that higher levels of trauma may relate back to the higher prevalence of mental issues within prisons. The trauma experienced while in prison can be tied to poor mental well-being for people incarcerated. And violence and abuse is not the only way people are traumatized while incarcerated. This argument does not even account for the impact that people who have parents forcibly removed from their lives or guardians who are removed from their lives has an impact on their well-being. 
It does not discuss how families can suffer from the removal of a parent, guardian, sibling, friend in their community when they are then placed in prisons and are incarcerated for a long period of time. In fact, that discussion is so deep and intricate that it would be a whole nother conversation and topic to discuss. Additionally, people who are incarcerated can also experience human right violations through administrative segregation and solitary confinement. Administrative segregation, solitary confinement, supermax. These are all names for the practice of placing individuals, usually those at risk for being targeted within prisons, like I said, those labeled as mentally ill, transgender, gender non-conforming, and other LGBTQ plus individuals, and so on. Additionally, people who are being punished by the prison staff get placed here as well. They place these individuals in a cell alone for 23 hours or more a day, denying them any opportunity for socialization while incarcerated. When people are placed in solitary confinement for going against prison rules, and I use that sentence lightly, as later on we will discuss why perhaps people are being punished by prison staff. Their sentencing to supermax is often undetermined, and those being placed into segregation for quote-unquote protective reasons can end up being isolated for years or even decades. While living in segregation, incarcerated people are under constant surveillance and control through the help of technology, offering them no privacy. They are denied social interactions, placed in isolating and abnormal environments behind this large steel door. Unlike the general public, unlike the general population, those who are placed in administrative segregation are offered only a few hours of recreational time outside of their cell, which is usually spent shackled. This is also the result in limited to no access to educational programs, vocational opportunities, or other purposeful activities people incarcerated may engage in to help cope with the violent and horrific environment they experience while in prison. Many mental health professionals have stated that solitary confinement is mentally and physically damaging to a person that even with no prior mental health problems can develop and suffer from psychological disorders. Increased anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts or actions, paranoia, anger, Cognitive disturbance, obsessive thoughts, and psychosis are among the list of psychological effects people incarcerated within administrative segregation can experience regardless of their mental health history. Isolation can also take a pre-existing mental health condition and exacerbate the symptoms of those with the diagnosed disorder. The prison system is actively targeting incarcerated individuals, placing them in an isolating and deteriorating environment whose conditions can lead to the decay of the individual's quality of health, both physical and mental. 
While mental well-being continues to deteriorate the longer an individual is held in isolation, that does not excuse the practice of short-term segregation either. People incarcerated in administrative segregation can experience the same effects in a short amount of time as well. This is an environment and a punishment that is meant to break a person down mentally and physically. These are intentional methods of punishment designed to bring harm onto incarcerated individuals. A punishment that has targeted marginalized individuals at an alarmingly high rate. It is not a coincidence that those people labeled at, as an at-risk person, the same individuals who are more vulnerable to abuse during their time incarcerated, especially at the hands of prison officials, are being placed in the most debilitating section of prison. And here's a quick trigger warning. The next portion will be talking about suicide and self-harm. So if that makes you anxious, uncomfortable, or anything, please stop listening. The conditions of solitary confinement are horrific experiences within the prison system. The prison system is forcing these individuals into these environments. The way isolation can cause someone to engage in self-mutilation and harm is overlooked by the prison system and excused as a safety measure for those individuals as well as the safety of other people within the prison. The extreme social and sensory deprivation these people are experiencing can lead to suicide. Suicide is the leading cause of death within prisons. The people who are incarcerated are choosing physically painful ways of death to escape the mental and emotional trauma they experience daily. Even after attempted suicides, people held within segregation are re-entered into the same isolating cells. There is little care about the well-being of these individuals as long as they are kept alive since they are now considered the responsibility of the state. In addition to the trauma experienced while in isolation, there are a few more aspects we should discuss involving solitary confinement. Placing certain individuals in administrative segregation for their own protection often does the opposite of what it is supposed to do. Prison staff who target specific people can now easily identify mentally ill individuals, trans people, gender nonconforming folk, and others who are at high risk of abuse from prison staff. Instead of being within the general population, which might make it more difficult for the staff to target certain people, now people in segregation are one, easily identifiable, and two, at more of a risk for abuse from officers. The lives of these people placed in administrative segregation are completely controlled by the staff within prisons when they eat, what they eat, and if they eat. And many other aspects of their lives are controlled by whoever is working that shift. They can be denied access to activities, resources, or rec time. They can even be ignored when it comes to health care. While any person incarcerated is at risk for these abuses as well, those placed in isolation are much more vulnerable to this behavior from prison staff. Additionally, if the individual wanted to report these abuses, 
which often result in worse treatment from prison staff. They would have a harder time doing so in segregation, as much of the cells are isolated away from witnesses and people who could stand up and attest for these individuals. People who are placed in solitary confinement as a form of further punishment while in prison may not have done something violent towards another person or defied orders or rules. Too often, people are placed in administrative segregation for speaking up against officers or reporting the abuse they experience in prisons or even suing the prison for that abuse. Prison staff continue to work for the state by suppressing these people and placing them in an even more deteriorating environment for their physical and mental well-being. Staff use this to gain further control over people who are incarcerated and to further punish them for speaking up. They use this method to, de to deter victims from speaking out and to maintain the power they hold over individuals who are incarcerated. Far too often I've heard people excuse these abuses, labeling them as an exaggeration or a cry for attention for people who are in prison. When we give people the power to control the lives of those incarcerated, we are placing too much power in the hands of ordinary prison staff. Most staff members don't even have training to de-escalate problems or identify mental breakdowns among people within their prisons. Now, I don't think the answer to this problem is more training for staff members in prisons, as that can lead to further abuses within the prison systems as well. Instead, I think the Stanford Prison Experiment gives voice to how giving someone this much power over others is problematic. The Stanford Prison Experiment was a social psychology experiment by Zimbardo and his colleagues to evaluate whether abusive correctional officers were a result of sadistic personality characteristics that then led them to this career and their behavior. Zimbardo gathered a group of men who were determined physically and mentally stable. Each man was then randomly assigned to be a prison guard or to be a prisoner. Even after the, all the even after all the participants explained that this was merely an experiment, the evidence they gathered was shocking. They noticed that the behavior of all participants began to change. There were instances where guards were being verbally and emotionally abusive towards prisoners, as well as prisoners showing signs of mental distress. Those acting as the prisoners were dehumanized by their fellow peers, only referring, only being referred to as an identification number, forced to engage in unwanted behavior, whether that be fighting, humiliation, physical punishments. It was clear that the guards with the power they held over other participants, believed themselves to be better than the others and engaged in abusive behavior, not because of personal characteristics, but because they got lucky to be a guard instead of a prisoner. Within 36 hours, a participant assigned the role to the role of prisoner, showed signs of mental disturbance and distress. Those who played the roles of prisoners felt that they could not leave the experiment or quit, making them feel 
like they were actual prisoners. The experiment was planned to go on for two weeks, but after six days, Zimbardo put an end to the experiment due to multiple mental breakdowns and aggressive behavior of the guards. The conclusion of the experiment stated how readily people are to step into social roles and follow the rules they are given without questioning the morality of their actions. This undoubtedly unethical experiment shed light on the reality of prisons everywhere. Prison staff are given complete control and power over the lives of people incarcerated and then continue to abuse that power however they want. No one should be given this much power in any setting. This experiment alone shows the abuse and power structure of prisons and should be enough for us to question whether prison structures are a valid and moral form of punishment. There are many takeaways from this experiment, but the largest conclusion I come to is that no one should be placed in an environment where they are susceptible to abuse and no one should hold so much power over another that they can constantly abuse them. Imprisonment of people was created and is still portrayed as a system that punishes individuals who go against the law that were created at the hands of the state to establish their rules of what is acceptable and what is deviant. This portrayal argues that the goal of prison is to punish those who go against these laws, protect the public from crime, deter people from committing these crimes, and transform those who are incarcerated into model citizens from their time imprisoned. However, the criminal justice system as a whole fails to achieve any of these goals. Instead, these goals are used to excuse the violence committed against marginalized and incarcerated individuals a system that upholds systemic racism and white supremacy. Instead, prisons are a place of violence, which targets the mental and physical well-being of people incarcerated, leaving them with lasting problems well after the end of their incarceration. A common argument or suggestion to help improve the situations of mental illness is through increased mental health care within prisons, reforming prisons to better equip themselves for mental health problems or to send mentally ill individuals to get treatment and rehabilitate it. On the surface, this suggests, this suggestion, on the surface, this suggests that On the surface, this suggests that these solutions would solve the problem at hand, that they would create a humane prison system and lower the prevalence of mental health problems in prisons. This is another misconception that is used to improve the image of prisons, deter the thought that prison abolition, and to make incarceration seem like a more humane process. Next week we'll discuss how the state and prison, how the state and prisons use medication and mental illness to further abuse and control people who are incarcerated. However, 
through this conversation, I hope that it's obvious that prisons are not a humane system and simply promoting a few programs and treatments will not make it more humane. This is an environment that people are placed in to experience traumatic events. The consequences of prison conditions are not an accident. The same way marginalized communities are not disproportionately represented in prisons accidentally. These are thoughtful actions by the state. We will discuss this further next week. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you again soon.